Hey everybody, it's Audrey Ellis and you're listening to Ask Audrey. Okay, so real quick, I know I've been talking about anxiety and, you know, the different forms of anxiety disorders and I was just thinking today, oh, okay, I did my hair. I like to keep my hair like locked up and everything and I was tired of just wearing it in locks. I wanted to make it, you know, kind of decorative. So I washed my hair, I styled it and then I put these little um, gold and silver cuffs in them and it took me eight hours to do my hair. So I was so like just tired. I'm like, you know, just done. Eight hours is a long time. It's like a work day. And so I thought to myself, I want to, I had to go to work the next day in the morning instead of in the afternoon, like usual. So I just decided, you know, I'm going to put these um, charms in my hair now and then put my hair up and I'll be fine. So I've had the charms in my hair for about a week, roughly. Didn't even like, you know, think about it. Didn't even think about the fact that they're not real gold or silver and that, you know, I probably should have waited for the my hair to dry. Nope, just put them in. So today, I'm off work, and my head started to itch and burn. And last night, I had like a fever. I don't know if it's related. I hope it's not. God, please, hope it's not. But last night, I had like this really weird fever that I was going to throw up, and I just felt like real bad. And, and I was like dizzy and just disoriented, and I couldn't understand why. So this morning, I wake up, and I'm feeling a little better, but like not 100%. I needed to go grocery shopping, but I had to do like the delivery service because I just couldn't. I wasn't feeling well and I was like, I don't get what's going on. And then my scalp started to burn and tingle. So I realized it was burning and tingling in the spots where my, those charms were touching my scalp. So I took the charms off and they were rusted. Oh my God. Oh my God. So, you know, I'm a person with anxiety and that's not a fun thing to see because now I'm starting to think all of the worst possibilities and it's freaking me out. So I'd rather just like talk about it and talk it out as opposed to letting those thoughts just run through my brain because if they run through my brain, I'm just going to like go on WebMD and find out, you know, just the worst. I don't know. I don't even want to think like that. But I just wanted to get it out because usually that helps me to not panic so much. And y'all pray for me. I just hope, like, I the worst thoughts that come to mind are, like, okay, so rust, did the rust get into, like, my bloodstream? God forbid. Like, is the rust going to make my hair fall out? God forbid. Like, all these different thoughts keep coming to my head. So I'm very hopeful that none of these anxious thoughts come to fruition. Oh, but I feel like I have to just wait it out. So I just like started thinking, what could I do to help myself out? Like, what's a good thing to do? And I don't feel like washing my hair, but I was like, I have to. It's the best thing to do. So I washed my hair. And before I washed my hair, I thought, what should I wash my hair with? Like, what's the strongest, most potent thing I can use that in my mind would like get rid of rust? So I went through all my hair care like products and I saw a... And I, uh, a product that has apple cider, apple cider vinegar in it. And I was like, okay, apple cider vinegar, that's strong. In my mind, that's like powerful, potent, it's gonna work. So I decided to wash my hair with the apple cider vinegar shampoo, and then I conditioned it with some like, I, I usually don't put too much aloe vera on my hair, but I conditioned it with some, uh, with an aloe vera based deep conditioner. And so after I finished doing that, then I sat back and I still thought, I don't want to go online because if I go online, I'm going to see something that is going to tell me that my hair is going to fall out or that I need to go to the doctor or something like that. So I was trying to sit and avoid it and just watch a movie and not think about it. But I was like, you know what? I need to look these things up. Like if there's something wrong or something dangerous, I shouldn't be afraid of that. I need to be able to calmly be, you know, informed about something if I need to know 
for my benefit, if I need to get some information for my benefit. So I went online and I Googled, you know, rust in the hair and I found out number one, it's actually a common thing. Like there's rust in the water. Oftentimes when we have hard water and you wash your hair, there's rust in the water. And it's common for the rust to get in the hair. It doesn't mean the hair is going to thin or the hair is going to fall out or anything bad is going to happen. It just happens. And on top of Googling that, I also learned that the best way to rinse rust out of your hair, y'all, get this, apple cider vinegar. Ooh, oh my goodness. Okay, so I feel like I, want, I can't say 100% better because, you know, if you're anxious, if you have anxiety, like the those other thoughts of like the what ifs, the paranoid what ifs still kind of sit in the back of your mind. But in the back of my mind, I'm trying to keep that at bay while I just kind of hold on to the fact that I've learned that it's actually a normal situation for us to be in a person's hair. Like if you wash your hair, it's, it's normal. And their apple cider vinegar is a way to cleanse your hair of rust. So my hair doesn't tingle or burn the way it does before I washed it. So that's good for me. Like I feel, you know, a little bit better realizing that, that, you know, First of all, washing my hair with apple cider vinegar, like I just trusted my spirit and said that has to work. And then to find out it is a remedy and to see that my scalp or feel that my scalp feels a little bit better. I'm just trying to breathe it out, y'all. But this is like the kind of thing that happens when you're anxious. Like I'm thinking, and it's possible, I could be right. Like the the feverish feeling I had last night and how I thought I was going to throw up and I just felt so like just sick. It's possible it's related. It really is possible, but I have no proof, especially since before I took the charms out of my head, I felt better than I did last night. So if it was like a continuous issue, I should have felt, I should have awakened feeling worse, but I didn't. So that's kind of like just what anxious minds do. I still don't know. Like my, my eyes are shooting back and forth across the room trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. But anyway, I just thought I would open up the show and this episode talking about that just to kind of give an insight to the way the anxious mind works. For those of you who don't know, and then for those of you who do know, you probably, you feel me, like you understand why and how all this panic can come up when you don't even mean for it to. So anyway, I kind of also wanted to share this story because I was thinking today, since I'm closing up the anxiety series for now, I might come back around to it, you know, later because you can never talk about it too much. Any mental health disorder needs to have awareness brought to it. So repetition and constant conversation about the different disorders can be helpful so months down the line i might find more information out about anxiety and i might want to share it and then there goes another anxiety series now of course i'm moving on to another mental health disorder i think i think i'm going to do it starting tomorrow but to close up anxiety for now i kind of wanted to just pretty much touch on what family members can do when they notice that their relatives are experiencing anxiety most people think that People who are anxious are just being dramatic or just being childish or just being everything but affected by a, a real mental disorder. And it's not fair to treat people that way. It's not fair to, you know, belittle or condescend someone who's actually struggling with, you know, a mental health disorder that does not that they do not have a grip on or do not have control of or might not even know that they have. So when I was taking a couple of uh, mental health group sessions, I learned that you know there's ways for family members to kind of help out to make sure that you aid in your relatives you know um, recovery journey or in maybe not necessarily recovery because you I don't want to say don't recover because anything can happen anxiety anything can happen if somebody can be healed from anxiety you just never know but typically they say anxiety doesn't go away so 
it may not be recovery like 100%, but it might be just on the road to stability. So for family members, there is a way for you to help someone when they're on the road to recovering a little bit more um, peace of mind and calm and comfort and stability in life. One of the ways, first of all, is to get awareness, to do your research on whatever mental health disorder this person may have. So since we're talking about anxiety, then let's go for it. Go to the American, I'm sorry, the Anxiety Disorder Association of America. That's a website that gives a ton of information, not just for people who are suffering from or struggling with anxiety, but for people who have relatives who struggle with or suffer from anxiety. Because if you're informed, then it kind of helps you to talk to someone a little bit in a, in a little bit more of a gentle manner. Because aggression doesn't help an anxious person. Anger doesn't help an anxious person. And another thing is, most people don't realize that anxiety and depression and suicide can be interlinked sometimes, you know, anxiety and the lack of control over that anxious and worried and fearful, you know, um, spirit or demeanor within yourself can lead to depression. Because of course, when you're, when something's going on that kind of debilitates you and makes you, you know, feel out of control in life and overwhelmed in life, that can easily lead to depression because you get depressed about how you cannot change the circumstance that you're in. You cannot change this disability and this disorder that you have that is seemingly controlling your life. So then as depression ensues, suicide can also become, you know, a part of a person's thought pattern when they have anxiety. So that's why I'm saying it's not just important for people who have anxiety disorders to know what that means. It's also important for the loved ones around them to know what it means because you can possibly save someone's life. You, if you know what to say to a person with anxiety, if you know what to say to a person with depression or any mental health disorder, you might just save someone's life. You might just be able to talk them off the proverbial ledge. Proverbial is one of my favorite words, just so you know, because I used to hear it all the time when I was a kid and I finally understand like what it really means. And whenever I get an understanding, I try to put the word into use enough to where it kind of sticks, like and sticks with me. Just want to say that little side note. But anyway, there's also, um, back to, you know, anxiety and, and family being aware. There's also the National Institute of Mental Health. I've talked about that um, resource before as well. You know, if you read up on anxiety on that website as well, or that government agency, all the resources that are available, all the studies that different, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists have done, you know, to kind of help you understand, you know, how the mind works. So you know that it's not just a joke or not just drama or not just, you know, someone trying to manipulate you. Now, of course, when someone has a mental health disorder, it can come across like manipulation. You know, if someone says, I can't clean the house because I'm depressed. That's the truth sometimes. When you're depressed, it's hard to do even the simplest thing. And so it might seem like it leaves all of the burden on another person, on another family member. And of course, that can be stressful and irritating and frustrating. But instead of you know, becoming angry and belligerent, you have to find out what exactly your, your family member is going through, the reason why they can't get up. And pay attention to what they're actually doing because if you're expecting them to do things around the house that you're able to do, but you notice they can't even do things for themselves like take a shower or brush their teeth or leave the house frequently, then, you know, you have to take into consideration that this is something more serious than laziness, as most people might think of it. Anxiety can make someone lay in bed all day just like depression because, like I said, they can be interlinked. So most people will look at their relative and just say, he's just lazy. And I think oftentimes people are misdiagnosed or 
like how do you say like mislabeled i don't know if mislabeled is a word but people are improperly labeled by their loved ones because the loved ones just get frustrated without having the compassion and the care and the consideration of someone's struggle and only when you go through it can you now see and feel what your relative is going through but i don't want people to have to go through anxiety in order to be able to have compassion for their loved ones i want people to just become educated and take mental health more seriously because it's a, a it's a true struggle it's definitely a true struggle and our a couple of days ago was a couple of days ago i think like a day or two ago um a really popular soap opera actor passed away and viola davis mentioned something in a tweet when she tweeted about him she said people need to start recognizing mental health as a serious condition just like they would any physical ailments and i'm paraphrasing but she said something to that nature you know you need to take mental health just as seriously as you would any type of disease that's within the body within you know the organs and the tissues and things like that you know cancer is taken seriously as it should be you know heart disease is taken seriously as it should be and everything else within the realm of your physical anatomy but mental anatomy is serious as well and my mother used to always say that her mother told her that just like the body gets sick the mind gets sick too so you have to go get help you have to take care of your mind you have to you know if you need to medicate your mind the way you medicate your body you know but you have to take it seriously and part of what makes it hard for those of us who struggle with mental health to take mental health seriously is the fact that society doesn't seem to do so too too often you know the, the compassion for mental health is often overlooked and awareness is trying to be brought to the situation but oftentimes you know it mental health is usually like the butt of every joke you know People throw around retardation and bipolar disorder as, you know, slurs against people who are not even suffering from it just because they, you know, did a, a stupid thing or they had, you know, they spoke ignorantly about something or whatever the case may be. Oftentimes you use, you know, a mental health disorder as the label to call someone when you get mad, if that makes sense, as a, as a, a phrase to throw at someone or hurl at someone when you get mad at them. Kind of like how... You know, there's certain animals that aren't really attractive or aren't really, um, like, relative to humans. But when people get mad, they'll use the name of that animal to refer to the person that they're mad at. Like, female dog is a bitch. But when you, and dogs bark, dogs are aggressive, all of those different, you know, um, traits that dogs have. That's kind of what you're trying to say about a woman. She's a bitch. Like, when she starts to bark and starts to nag and starts to irritate you, she's a bitch. Or, you know... A mule, who's one? The donkey. If I if I'm correct, donkeys are allegedly like stubborn animals. Don't quote me on that, but donkeys are allegedly stubborn animals. They, you know, donkeys and mules are I guess in the same family. They're stubborn animals. So when someone is stubborn or unmoving or unyielding, then you call them an ass. See, it's supposed to be derogatory. Well, I feel like in the same way, mental health disorders are often hurled at people in a derogatory sense, and so it kind of takes the power from those of us struggling you know, the power in being able to admit it because we don't want to be deemed crazy. And just because you struggle with mental health doesn't mean you're crazy. You just have a, a disorder that you need help with. So it's hard to make people understand that. Like I said, oftentimes when people go through it, that's when it's easier for them to have compassion once someone has been through it. But it, doesn't, it shouldn't take the whole world experiencing a mental health disorder for there to be, you know, awareness and understanding. It's just, I don't know, it's just, to me, it's just as simple as having empathy. 
empathy is pretty much not necessarily understanding on a personal level what someone's been through, but being able to, you know, feel for someone. If you can try to place yourself in their shoes and try to place yourself in their position. But I feel like we're getting towards that. And we're going to get to that point at some point where people will be more empathetic of, you know, mental health disorders as they are with, you know, cancer patients and heart disease patients and, you know, every other ailment. But it's going to take time. And in the meantime, the best thing I can say is, you know, utilize the Internet as your resource. I wouldn't necessarily say Google every symptom and just believe what the Internet says. You know, you might want to seek out a mental health professional to find out exactly what you have. But I would say once you do know what you have, whatever type of anxiety you have, and you've you know contacted a mental health professional or you found your your form of, of therapy and treatment, try to find some support groups. You know, you don't always have to have um, you know insurance or like a, a therapist direct you in the the path of a mental health uh, support group. Sometimes they're just some that are in your neighborhood or your local churches or local schools or just local community organizations that will offer that to you. One day I hope I can do that, that I can offer you know, a community outreach program because once you have experienced it and you're like feeling like you're feeling like you're getting to the other side of it, you kind of just want to help everybody else get to the other side of it too. Now that doesn't mean I will never regress. I'll never have moments where, you know, I feel anxious. I mean, obviously what I told you about this, you know, in the beginning of this episode, it still happens. But when you feel like you have more of a grip on your mental health disorder, it feels a lot better to move forward in life when you know that you can, you know, catch yourself in the midst of going down the wrong path of that disorder. And not every disorder is like that. You know, some of them are, are hard to control, but we'll get to those in the future. So for me, one of the things that I like to do to kind of keep myself calm is finding a hobby. Now, right now, for me, podcasting has been fun because it allows me to speak out the things that normally would stay in my head. Um, another thing that I've done, I've spoken about it before, is um, music therapy. I did it when I was suffering from grief and depression when my dad passed away, but I feel like it's good period because you can go online onto you know YouTube or any of the the web. Well, I shouldn't say web, but any of the social media platforms, and find different music related apps and just start using that as your therapy. I used to do um, before I did the music therapy. I was doing Dub Smash. I used to love to do the Dub Smash app and find my favorite scenes from movies and do the voiceover for it because for that period of time it brought me so much joy so much laughter and comfort just to laugh at how much fun I was having and laugh at the the craziness of it all like how you know my face is in front of the camera but someone else's voice is what I'm kind of you know lip syncing or like lipping how do you say it syncing to I don't know how to call it when you're not singing but you know like you're syncing your mouth to the words that are being spoken by the actor or the the scene from the movie that you've chosen but that's fun you know to find things to kind of give good fun and serotonin boosting you know effects to your body and to your brain and I like to always end don't mind my character tweets I like to always end with sharing a crystal because I'm into crystal healing because that's also been a huge factor in my healing process and the mental health struggles that I've had. And so when I started to purchase crystals, I started to keep them close to me and kind of just, you know, read up on them and study about them to see which ones could make a difference. And I have like a whole bag of anxiety related crystals. It, believe it or not, I do because out of everything, anxiety has always been like 
I think the hardest thing for me to deal with because it usually brings about the depression. Like I usually am not depressed without being anxious about something first. Like I feel like I'm a very happy person when people when they see me, they can see happiness on me because depression is not something that I just had just because it was typically um what should I say, like a a direct effect or a direct relation to anxiety. So anyway, one of the um the crystals that I use I've mentioned before, like I use amethyst and things like that, but one of the crystals that I use for an overactive mind, which is what I'm going to need today, so I won't think about this rust situation, is white halide. So white halide is good for calming the overactive mind, and it helps to support restful sleep, and it helps to release your triggers. And I think I mentioned before that often, you know, anxiety and depression, but right now, especially anxiety, can have, like there can be things in your life that have happened and if you see them in your present day or you see them around you on television or hear it in a song or you know your friends mention one word or one you know tell one story and all of a sudden it reminds you of something that's a trigger and so white halide is good for releasing triggers like when you have it near you it helps to release that panic that usually comes whenever you know triggers are, are what's the word i'm looking for i feel like my words are escaping me because i really am still thinking about the rest <laughs> i can't even lie Whew, but I'm gonna get over. It. I'm gonna get through it. I'm gonna get through it. But you know, whatever triggers are are pretty much uh, enacted. White halide is good for that. So it's a really pretty white rock, as you can imagine, and it has like these little black specks in them, or grayish black specks in them, kind of bluish too, like dark blue, but like a grayish, smoky gray black specks or lines that you know kind of go across it and or across it and. It's amazing. I just, you know, I usually put them under my pillow. Whenever something gets really intense, I'll put it under my pillow before I sleep because whatever healing properties it has, I feel like when your body is at rest completely, when you're asleep, then things that are supposed to heal the body kind of take effect better. You know how sometimes, you know, you get a medication that you have to take and your doctor tells you to take it, you know, in the morning when you wake up, but also take it before you go to bed. Well, I feel like when your body is at rest, taking it before you go to bed probably does the most work and it's most effective because during the day your body's so active that what if it's just you're taking it just to keep it in your system you know you take it in the morning just to keep it in your system but that's a whole nother rant i can go on into little different segues just easily because i love to talk but yeah i like to put it under my bed at night because i'm under my pillow at night because at night when my body's at rest and my mind is at rest then it pretty much goes to work and one last thing I want to mention before I end this episode, and as you can probably imagine, I am watching the clock looking for the even number, but I'm not going to do that. One thing that I want to mention is that I was reading about um, mental health disorders and anxiety, depression, and suicide links, how they all connect to each other. And one of the things that I found very interesting, I believe it was on the National Institute of Mental Health website, um, a lot of different psychiatrists you know, did a couple of different studies and they learned that what usually kind of I guess is related to suicide attempts it can be neuro neurobiological it can be you know um, genetic it can come down you know from your family line you know people who have anxiety often have relatives if not their parents or their grandparents but someone in their family who also has anxiety or whatever mental health disorder they have it's probably somewhere in your family but another thing that stood out to me was it's stated, according to the, the research that these um, therapists and these 
psychiatrists have done is stated that not having a religious foundation or a religious association can play a factor in how anxiety and depression can lead to suicide. And doesn't I mean having a religious background doesn't stop you from getting anxiety or getting depression, but they're just saying that how anxiety can go to depression and then depression and anxiety put together can lead to a suicide attempt is usually directed directly related to a person not having any type of religious foundation in their life. And I know religion itself is bad because there's so many rules and laws, but I take that more as like a spiritual base. You don't have to be religious to be spiritual. To me, spirituality is better than religion because spirituality is more free. It allows you to know that there's a higher power and know that the higher power loves you, know that God loves you and he's taking care of you and to try to, you know, give to him the things you don't understand. You know, it helps to keep you calm. Like whenever you can't understand why things happen in the world, you just have to just trust that he knows why. And when you have someone else, when you have a higher power that you can go to in that way, it helps to calm the mind. But when you don't think that there is any higher power, imagine how much of a panicked a person can be when they think that no one is in control of this world. No one is in control of what goes on and what's happening. There's no one out there to protect you or to watch over you or to, you know, take care of you. That's a scary thing. I mean, I already know how it feels. When my dad passed away, I felt that way for a little while because he was the one who always looked over me and made sure that I was okay. So him not being here made me panicked. It made me anxious. It made me depressed. It made me a lot of different things. And I had to kind of connect to God again to feel peace and to feel safety in this world. And so I know that to be true. And on top of knowing that having a religious or a spiritual base, you know, does help with mental health disorders, I also learned when I was in college, I took a lot of psychology classes because I love psychology. I love observing people, watching people, and just kind of studying people's, you know, the behavior behaviors of others. And so in one of my psychology classes, I want to say it was um, the, something with aging, psychology of aging. That's what it was. I took a psychology of aging class when I was in college, and I remember reading that in my, um, in the book, in the text that we had, because it stated how different mental health disorders can be linked to different life events, you know, like marriage, death, divorce, um, relocation, and not even just relocation, but, you know, if someone comes to a, a whole new country and having to adapt to the new culture, that can cause, you know, anxiety and panic and things like that. So one of the things that was listed in my text that they, they pretty much said was a good idea for a person to do to kind of, you know, get balanced and get focused was to find a religious or a spiritual foundation that they can kind of refer to whenever life gets difficult. And they learned that over the years, people who had a spiritual base lived longer and had better coping skills. And that was actually in another class I took. I took a nutrition and aging class, and that was listed in that book as well, in the text for that class as well. People who had spiritual bases and religious bases usually coped better with life dealt better with grief, dealt better with, you know, mental health struggles and, and lived longer and just had more of a, a balanced life. So hopefully for those of us who have a spiritual base, we kind of can, you know, we kind of make sure we rely on it and we depend on it, you know, as much as we should because it does help. And for those of us who don't, you don't have to believe what other people believe. You don't have to believe in the same kind of God that other people believe in. It's nobody's business who your God is, but hopefully just find some sort of spirituality that will help keep you grounded and help you to cope with life because we're not the only ones out here struggling. We're not the only ones out here going through difficult things, but when it feels that way, 
having some form of spirituality can help us to feel more rooted and more grounded and feel, you know, a little bit more sane. So hopefully that helps somebody. And I thank y'all so much for listening. And I hope y'all listen again tomorrow.